everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lees for a very special episode of the Surf and Sales podcast, um, where we're going to address mental health in a very unique way. And we're excited to have our guest with us. First, a quick shout out to our sponsors, Lead 411, Wingman, and uh, Vidyard, and then the Salesforce Revenue Cloud, uh, which leads us to our guest, um, Marin, wait, Marin? Almost, third one, Marin. Marin. I even tried to write it down and I blew it. So Marin Nelson, at least I got that part right, uh, who is the regional VP of enterprise at Salesforce. And the reason she's joining us is today, she's helped create, I'm going to let her tell the story of sober force, where Salesforce is really trying to help their employees who are struggling and having challenges with, I'm assuming it's addiction, but maybe it could be other things around supporting mental health, which I know they already support. So why don't you tell everybody what, what Sober Force is, how it got awesome. through. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. Nice to meet both of you. Um, so a group of sober leaders and I found each other on LinkedIn, actually not within the walls of Salesforce, but on another platform. Um, when a, a colleague of mine, Chris Anthony, posted about his recovery in a public way last year, another guy, Andy, uh, who's also a sales leader at Salesforce, found it, liked it. He posted about his own and I saw Randy's post and I commented, oh, me too. I've been sober for 15 years. I'm also a Salesforce leader. It's so great to meet you. We're big companies, you know, so I don't know all the sales leaders. And I actually had never met anyone else who was sober at my company. And so it was pretty exciting to see people posting it publicly and getting connected. So we got together and had a phone call and there's four of us who are all sales leaders and said, this is really nice to connect with other sober people at Salesforce, especially in this weird COVID world we live in where everyone's a face on a screen. And how can we keep this going just as a connection point for us? And huh, if there's four of us, I bet you in a big company, there's a whole bunch more. So maybe we can expand this. Yeah, I have a question. When you work at, and I think if, I don't care what size company, but particularly the company like Salesforce, and you're 15 years into to being sober, so it could be different, I think, depending. Do you ever worry like, oh my God, I hope nobody ever finds out that I go to meetings or I need to do this discreetly? Like, you know, even shouldering more of a burden, I, I and I'm making a huge assumption, so push back on me, but is that what it felt like? For a while? You know, in the beginning of my recovery, before um, I was at Salesforce, actually, and I lived in New York City, uh, and I worked in commercial real estate, I was a commercial real estate broker, I was a little bit more close to the vest about it, although the people who were close to me knew I didn't drink. And that's, for me, how I've um, guaranteed my sobriety in the workplace in my early days of recovery was to be public about it with my boss. Now, that's a super personal choice, right? So, um, some people really want to maintain their anonymity at work. They don't want that to be a known fact about them. For me, it's part of my staying sober. It's part of just how I operate. I am who I am everywhere. And I think it's a big part of how I've stayed sober these years. Um, but I have no judgment on people who keep it personal. So for me, that's not my story. For some of my co-founders of Sober Force, that is their story. And it was um, a bold move to go public with it. But I will say going public in the way we have with creating this group did take bravery and courage because I was posting out to my entire company, whoever wanted to see it on Chatter can now see it, that I've been sober for 15 years and a little bit about my heading bottom and, 
and why creating this community was so important to me. And that even with the 15 years, there is stigma on addiction and alcoholism. And even though I've been in recovery from it for 15 years, yeah, of course, it's a little bit nerve wracking as a, as a leader to say, I have this thing called alcoholism and also I am sober, right? And, um, but that's the point of it is the point is to say, you can, if you're struggling, get help. There are those who have gone on this path who are on this path and you're not alone and you don't need to feel alone in the workplace and there are people you can connect with. And that's a big part of why we created what is Soberforce, which is an affinity group um, at Salesforce, which is a place for people to be in community together who are either sober themselves or curious about getting sober or struggling with other addictions is what it's expanded to. Um, or even just interested, how do I host a sober event or a non-drinking event for my customers? Because I'm sick of having wine tastings and I want to do something different. So um, our goal is to create a community for all of that. I, I want to ask you a question about the, um, the alone aspect that you just mentioned. I mean, mm. does it, how do I phrase this? Do the numbers kind of hold true? Like if X number of people you know, in, in America or in society have addiction issues. It's the same inside a company like Salesforce and we have the numbers to kind of prove it. And then do the, does that math hold true across departments? Because it seems to me that folks in the sales org have a much higher propensity for these kind of issues. Uh, I mean, we that, do share kind of crazy when you go into sales. There is a kind of crazy that we must all share together. And I say yeah. that with at being one of those people identify with, with peace and love we say a hundred percent yes i am in that category as a lifelong salesperson um it's a great question i don't have the data i know statistically about 12 percent of people are Im impacted by addiction i imagine given my own just experiences and this is just by observation of being sober for as long as i have been that we are everywhere we are in the c-suite we are in uh, the unemployment. We are in the, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter what race, religion, gender, sexual orientation you are, addiction doesn't care. So uh, are there more people in sales who are addicts and alcoholics? Maybe. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I couldn't back that with any sort of data. I'm sure there is a study out there somewhere, but. It would be interesting to, to look at research on that. I'm, I'm it like. It would be surprising. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, I, I and, and you perhaps, I mean, maybe we're biased just because we've been inside sales orgs our whole life. Yeah. So that's primarily what we see. And if I talk to my brother who's been in engineering departments, he might tell me, oh, you're crazy. It's engineering is by far the, right. you know, the worst. But what, what about the, the stigma? And you mentioned they're in the C-suite. Like, is it harder to overcome the stigma for people who are more junior in their career or people who are more senior in their career? It's a really good question. I think for me, um, part of my being willing to be very out about my recovery is because I've been sober for 15 years and I'm not counting days and I'm not one year in. I think it's also part of it is because I am in leadership that I feel a bit more protected maybe to say in a bit, maybe it's because I have more self-confidence at this stage in my career and my age and more willing to be truly authentically me wherever I am, which I did not have in my 20s, right? Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to know if like, if that comes just because, because of the experience or like you said, maybe you're a little more safeguarded. You're like, oh, I've 
I've got a more established career, so they can't. I've proven myself more. I'm not brand right. new. I, I got a little. I get a little longer rope. They'll be more tolerant and patient with me. That's what I'm kind of getting at. It's like I think people struggle with that. Maybe who are junior in their junior in their career, and then people who are senior in their career might be thinking, "Oh, for God's sake, if I let people know, like I'm fucked." Like I think it's all of it. I, I think it's all of it, yeah. and I think that's why you know. Again, it's like the so, so the sober force creation is basically Salesforce. Um, gives us a platform with chatter. It gives all of our customers a platform with chatter, which is what's super exciting to me too, because I hope this doesn't just stay in the walls of Salesforce. I hope that our customers see it and go, you know what, we need to have a conversation about this too, right? What does it look like if we facilitate this conversation? And I hope that we can demonstrate, and I don't speak for Salesforce, I speak for myself and my own hopes of this group, but I hope that we can show other companies how to have this conversation in the workplace because it's not something that I've ever experienced being talked about in the workplace right um and that's that's why it was for leaders who have long-term sobriety who started this to try to say to your point to the people who are counting days or the people who have more seniority but have never disclosed it like create a safe place where it's okay to say it and we can be together in community I think it's great I it's it's interesting to me um couple of thoughts. Well, I'm going to stick with one. So, you know, what do you do when your team is under, you know, the age of 30, right? Like, you know, you think sales, right? Obviously you're an RVP, you've worked your way up, but you have people who've been in sales. Maybe your team is more mature because you're on the enterprise side, right? But what do you do with, with those people, 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 what advice would you give them about their sobriety as it relates to work and trying to share. Like you, if you went back 14 years ago or maybe even 16 years ago, when yeah. you were so nervous about it, what kind of, what kind of advice would you give, you know, that bar? I, I think that, and thank you, you said it right. I think that it's a, you know, it's so personal. So it's not for me to ever say to someone who's, and I, maybe I'm not hearing your question right, but the way I hear it is if someone's newly sober, and they are seeking community and they're, they're trying to figure out like, and this has come up in the creation of Soberforce. People ping us, we put our cell phones out there. What do I do? There's a wine tasting tonight. Do I not go? Do I risk not getting to meet this CMO that's gonna be there? But I feel nervous and I don't wanna, I'm scared I'm gonna drink if I go. My advice, and it's putting on the hat of someone who's sober, not putting on a hat of a leader or, you know, and I think, and I, I feel confident Salesforce would support me in this advice. My advice to that person is you do what keeps you safe and healthy first and foremost. And if you do that, then the career follows. If you are an alcoholic and you are an addict and you drink, I, I guarantee has been as would be my experience, everything I've worked for goes out the window. My career, my family, my friends, the trust I've built, the, the who I am, that all goes away if I drink. And so if it's someone coming to me for advice who is seeking to be sober and stay sober, that has to come before any other preconceived notion of what they owe for their job. Because you're not gonna have a job, you're not gonna show up for your job if you're, if you're drinking, right? And it's not safe for you to drink. But as far as disclosing it or what they tell their boss or not, that's so personal, right? And everyone's gotta make the call that feels right to them and their own integrity and um, where they feel safe. And some, of, some of that safety has to, has to be like, what is their relationship with their boss? 100%. Who that boss is, right? Yeah, because maybe their boss struggles with drinking too much and maybe it wouldn't be safe, right? And and 
everyone's got to got to pick what works for them. But I hope that in demonstrating um, authenticity and being human, that we say to other people, it's safe for you to be human in the workplace too. That's ultimately what I hope. When you guys first announced it, did did the floodgates open or was it still a trickle of like, oh, thank God someone said something. I've been holding on to this for so long. It's been pretty remarkable and it's been super humbling. It literally within 30 seconds of my hitting post of my story. So we, we turned Soberforce on. I mean, really kind of like we're rolling with it. This is all very iterative. It just launched right before Thanksgiving. Uh, we said, we got to get this out for the holidays. Like, and if we, we said to each other, if we have one person, then we've been successful. If we have one person, which is one family, we've been successful in this. And 30 seconds after posting, a guy I used to work with pinged me on my cell phone and said, I just saw your post. I'm 10 days sober. I'm so happy you posted that. I remembered you not drinking at a customer dinner years ago. And I didn't know what your story was. And I didn't want to assume but I'm new to this and I kind of don't know what to do. And that conversation would have never happened had I not posted. And I felt like sick to my stomach before I posted because I was so nervous about exposing myself on such a big stage and immediately was reassured by the universe like that was the right call because you just helped someone who now is still sober and very active in our sober force community. And it just makes me so happy because we would have not had that connection had I not posted that and had this group not gone live. So we have almost 200 members now in a span of what, six weeks of going live, which is pretty remarkable. And we've had our kickoff call. Um, we're starting to explore ways we can have intersectionality conversations with our equality groups like Bold Force and Wind Force and um, Salesforce Women's Network. So the support has been incredible. It genuinely makes me so happy to work at Salesforce and in a community where this is celebrated. Uh, and I just, you know, it's it, the people who have long-term sobriety who are like, oh, I've always hoped for a group like this and I'm so happy. People who are sober curious and just attending calls but not really talking yet, which is why we're here. It's, you know, we're here, it's public and public to the Salesforce community. And, you know, the hope is that people find others to connect with or see a name and go, oh, I worked with that person. Maybe I could call them for a one-on-one -on -one conversation. As you built this internally, and, and I know, I, I don't know if everybody knows this, I know that when Benioff created Salesforce, he immediately created the one-on-one plan, right? Where you give one back, 1% 1 back in your time. And so every new employee actually gives 1% of their time to whatever, I don't know. I think it's their own call, if I'm not mistaken. But um, they, you give 1% of revenue and then you give away the software at 1%. Mm -hmm. So it's built into the DNA from day one. Yeah. Was it hard to get HR on board? And no. that's sort of the first question. The second I question know. is- I would have thought, no, we had a call and they were like, yes, thank you. And um, you know, someone shared their own story with mental health struggles on that call. And again, I was like, that, that would have never happened. Had we not said, hey, we're here and here are our struggles and here's our authentic story. And someone else said, yeah, I, here's my authentic story. I mean, addiction's everywhere. People, if, if someone themselves doesn't struggle with it, they probably have a friend or a family member, right? And so um, our really our goal is like, let's take the stigma away. Let's just, of, of all the things, right? Would you, you know, maybe someone's listening and, and they have no idea what the culture is, right? Or, or maybe it's, you know, the culture is, of course, we support everybody verbally. Yeah. 
how how would one and, and I think it takes the right person and, and clearly you were you know it, it couldn't be done I don't think by someone who's 10 days in um, how would you advise someone to try to take an idea like this even to the company mm. yeah I mean I think I, I love that you're right Salesforce it's in our culture. It's there are other equality groups that are running and successful and celebrated. And so we had a framework to follow um, to become this affinity group. For a new company, I'd say, you know, of course you have to read read the culture. And if you feel like it's a culture where, you know, your bravery will be celebrated. Um, and I'd say, you know, the reality is using the statistics of 12% of people are, are impacted by addiction. And I want to create a community where people feel safe bringing their whole selves to work. Because I can tell you, for me, this just even furthers my commitment to Salesforce and my um, joy at working somewhere where I can be my full self and, and be celebrated for things that maybe don't look shiny. Yeah. <laughs> like, and so like, it, might not, it might not sound very sexy to say, but like in a way, this type of program is a massive retention tool for, <clears throat> for yeah. their employees. Yes, and oh, by the way, productive employees. Because yeah. if you have someone who's actually seeking help for a challenge, not only are you retaining them, because we're pretty good workers, alcoholics, when we're sober. <laughs> when we're not sober, it's not so good. But you know, you can help someone. So fundamentally, it's about helping people save their lives, quite literally, right? By saying you're not alone, and we're here if you want to talk and if you want help. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, but yes, you will also get someone who is very committed to your company, um, I would guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you say it's safe for you to be here and to have this conversation here. Now, it's interesting to me because it's like, this is kind of one of those programs and groups that you're in that you actually don't want to grow, right? Because you prefer less people have these kind of problems. But, but then again, you know there's probably more people who have issues who are not in it. So you, you want them to come into the fold. So it makes me just think as like a community builder, like what the, how the fuck do I navigate that? Cause like, I don't, you know what I mean? I want more people. I don't who are, think we're going to make people alcoholic by having sober course. <laughs> so I don't think that's going to happen. I think that we probably already exist in vast numbers and there's quite a few of us who are already sober and I think, you know, COVID so the, goal, the goal then does become like, we need to grow the group. Yes. From a community building standpoint, it's like, you're not thinking about anything, but we need to grow the group because the people are already out there. A hundred percent. It's, and it's allyship, right? So it's right. also, there's a lot of wine tastings happening and we're not the anti-drinking crew. Let me be super clear on that. My husband's a normal drinker. I'm surrounded by normal drinkers. It is not a statement on the drinking institution. But it is, it is a request and a hope that maybe there's a pause before scheduling another whiskey tasting to say, is this event inclusive to all of our customers? Is this event safe for all of our employees? Is there something we could do like a cooking class that's just as fun, but doesn't in, unintentionally leave someone out? So our membership is a lot. Right. I if you promote it as this is specifically a non-alcoholic event, like to your customers, like we're, you know, I, I would be curious to see if, what might happen, right? Um, but does the engagement and attendance of, of said event go go up, down, or say the well, same? 
Yeah, and we're not advertising. So the the things that have happened have been super creative, which has been really fun. So we've done a crowdsourcing on like, hey, let's like, what are some non-drinking events we could host, right? Let's switch it up. Have been super well attended. And we're not advertising them as non-drinking events, but it's a pizza making class or it's with a chef, like a famous chef, and they're sending you supplies ahead of time or cookie making or graffiti party someone had. Like, Oh, I didn't oh. hear Richard. Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, I, I wanna get in on the cookie making class. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And it, yeah. I think, yeah, I, so. I have another question, Particular, particularly big organizations and you know, let's pretend 2020 didn't quite happen the way it did, right? Um, and I think it's different for everybody. Dreamforce comes along and man, that thing can be a booze fest, right? <laughs> like yeah. it, it is crazy. Um, and I've been to, I think six of them now, seven of them. And uh, that's got to be hard too, right? And I think it goes back to your point earlier, like you take care of you first. A hundred percent. I have, right. yeah. How do you, how did you, just out of curiosity, because you know, you're, you're at a certain level in your sobriety, did it really not affect you? Or did you still have to be super conscious of this of like, okay, I'm only going to stay out till this amount of time, or I'm only going to meet my customers here. Like, yeah. as an individual, how did you navigate that? So for me, I stay in the middle of the herd always. So I'm very active in an outside group for my sobriety and I still am. And it's not because I want to drink today. In fact, the desire to drink left pretty quick when I got sober, but because my sobriety is about um, living in a solution and, and it's about how I live my life. So first and foremost, it's not like I put down drink 15 years ago and I'm good and I go on my merry way. Like, no, I stay sober by being very active in a sober community is how I maintain my sobriety. So it is a check-in before I go to an event like Dreamforce with my sober group of friends to say this is where I'm going and I'm gonna check in with you because yeah, you're right. Any social event like that, any conference, uh, there's gonna be a lot of drinking. Drinking is a big part of our culture. Um, so how I keep myself safe there is uh, knowing where I can find other sober people when I go to events like that. Uh, it's also not going to wine tastings. I skip the wine tours. I don't go. I find other ways to connect with my customers at the dinner, right? And when they all go out bar hopping after, I don't go. And it was harder earlier in my career because to, to the question earlier Scott had, I did have a concern. Am I going to not advance my career if I don't go to this thing, right? Am I going to miss out on the intel from the customer if I'm not with them till the wee hours? But it just isn't worth it my sanity and my sobriety is not worth it. And it turns out it hasn't hurt my career. I've advanced just fine. And so I hope other people who are early, early in recovery or even not have the confidence to know like your worth is far greater than how late you stay out at a customer event because they're probably not gonna remember much of it anyway. <laughs> if Dreamforce could do a sober force location Right. Thank you, Richard, for that plug, because that's on our list of hopes and dreams yeah. for this year. You should have like almost every day you could have a different theme and a different thing, but but definitely promote it as a sober force thing. Like because yeah. like, if it's 12 percent and you driver, you y'all are driving in 100,000 people, <laughs> you know, like there's Love there's people. enough who would be thrilled with that. Yeah, I so. that's my hope for it. I think we're going to we're definitely going to create something at Dreamforce. I don't know what it will be. But Silver Force will have a presence, absolutely, in some form. Like, go get some Cirque du Soleil acrobats and, you know, like, 
have some kind of event and you know bring them flame bring growing them. someone's eating fire i like it yeah there's there's actually a bar that was supposed to open up out here i live in the east bay where it's axe throwing scott i don't even know if i told you about it no um, but we have we have those here in austin i know so, exactly. um, you know like literally they teach you how to throw an axe now like and that. that's at a bar so i don't and think that that's, would be, that's scary that would be yeah. safer so, sober <laughs> but, but um but i think there's a ton of great ideas and i, I love the fact that you're doing this um if you don't mind, I'd love to dig into your story a little bit. Like, sure. first and foremost, when did you know you liked sales? Oh, yeah. Uh, I come from, so my dad is a commercial real estate. He had his own commercial real estate firm in the Twin Cities. And it's very sales personality. My brother also is in software sales. And so for me, um, I didn't go, I almost like, I intentionally didn't go that direction at first because I need to be different. So I actually started in nonprofit healthcare, planning national conferences for Planned Parenthood and other similar organizations. Totally not what I do today. How um, old were you when you were doing this? Like what um, age? Right out of college, 22. In New York okay. City, right so, out of college. So go back further. Were you were you the athlete who often comes into sales? Were you the yes. hustler as a kid, always selling something? And, you know, yeah, you know, it's in her blood, too. Not gender bias, but We're a storytelling family. We talk a lot. There's a lot of people talking. Um, uh, yeah, I think, I've, I mean, I've always been, right? We're all, our personalities, what do they say, since the age of three? So, no, I've always been the way that I am. Uh, I was an athlete, yes, and I was an individual athlete, which I think is not surprising going into being individual contributor. I was a diver and a gymnast and a golfer, uh, and I got into sales very shortly after doing the nonprofit thing for about two and a half years, and I said, this cube life is not for me, and I went into commercial real estate in New York City, and it was super fun, and I loved it, and then 2008 happened, and it crashed, and I said, oh, it's not that great, and I was kind of overliving in New York City at that point. I moved back to Minnesota, which is where I'm from, where my family was, and that's when I started getting into software sales, so I worked in this space for 10 years before joining Salesforce, and I've been at Salesforce since. Richard, you're on mute. Yes, this is the first 2021 time I've been able to there was a million occurrences in 2020. Okay. This is the first one of 2021. <laughs> so I'd like to sort of interweave, like when did drinking start? Were you, look, I had, you know, I had a fake idea in high school and all that kind of stuff. And, and where did that sort of enter into your life? Yes, uh, I was 14 and it was really non-eventful. It was after a diving practice, I believe it was a Zima. I was like, yes, I have arrived. This is my solution. Um, I was a really anxious kid. Anxiety is part of my story too. I've always had anxiety. Uh, I treat it now in a healthy way, but I definitely was like most alcoholics, uh, self-medicating uh, an anxiety disorder as a kid. So I started drinking at 14, um, but uh, my story was always where the outsides looked pretty good, including up until when I hit bottom in New York City when I was 24. I had a job, I had a boyfriend, I had my rent paid. So I was really aware that I um, came from a line of alcoholics. A lot of my family's in recovery. And um, so I knew it was critical to keep the outside looking pretty tight, even though the inside was a hot mess, like a dumpster fire, like, like 2020. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, my, my bottom was really, really not exciting. It was me waking up horribly miserable, horribly hungover, and just going, I can't do this anymore. 
And I, I called my parents and asked for help and uh, went to a 12-step meeting and have been lucky that I've stayed in the middle of that herd since, and it has worked for me. And I haven't had a drink since then. That's awesome. Literally, you were literally able to stop on that day. Yeah, but you know, I had I took my first Are You an Alcoholic quiz that Hazelden has, Do You Have a Drinking Problem? Something like that when I was 18 in college at University of Wisconsin-Madison. And uh, I aced, I aced that. It was the only quiz I aced that year. I aced that one. In college. <laughs> only one. I got a 99.9%. .9%. You drink more than 99.9% .9 of the female population. I was like, yes, wait, no, I don't want an A plus on that. Uh, and I promptly, I remember the moment I promptly shut my laptop and was like, yeah, whatever. I'm in a sorority. I go to a big 10 school. They just, they just want my money. And, but it was there. The seed had been planted. Madison's like the university of Arizona. Thank you. I mean, a little harder to get into, but yeah. <laughs> oh, see what she did there, Richard. Oh. I know. I know. Scott went to ASU. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, ASU just, you so just made his day. <laughs> Yeah, it's a big party school for sure. Great academics, lots of partying. Um, yeah, I'm really lucky. I am really lucky. I had examples in my family of sobriety and what long-term sobriety looked like and the lives that those people led. And I also had an example of active drinking and what that life looked like. So that saved me a lot of years of misery because I could see at 24, like I got to pick my path. Either I'm going to be a, a drinking alcoholic or a sober alcoholic, but there's clearly no middle of the road solution because I was trying to manage it and there was no managing. Right. Did, did your family try to intervene before 24? My sister told me that I reminded her of a family member who is an alcoholic, who is an alcoholic, um, an active alcoholic. And I was furious and it was at Christmas. It was about five months before I got sober and that didn't go over well. <laughs> Uh, but I'm very grateful to her and I've since made amends and thanked her for her having the courage to say that to me because I did not want to be like that. And I knew that my, the, you know, I knew that it was my hiding wasn't so hidden in that moment, but no, I lived in New York. They lived in Minnesota. I was able to somewhat hold it together when they were around. If you think about, right. So we have, we either have, well, I suppose we have middle of the road. I don't know the definition, but there's probably people here who are listening who are not alcoholics. Maybe they don't know one, or maybe they do, and they don't know how to bring it up, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to go form an intervention, you know, like, how is there a, is there a healthy way to, that you could encourage someone, if I need to go to Scott, say, Scott, man, I'm really worried about you, and, you know, I don't want you to get angry. I feel like you're drinking too much. Like, is that what you try to do. And I know there's not one cookie cutter, like there's not one answer. Good luck but, trying not to make the person angry, by the way. So yeah, I think if someone's not ready to stop, it's but, it's, but that's the fear, right? Like that's to, to what you were just saying is like your sister had to have a lot of courage. And a lot of love for me. She had to love me more than the reaction I was going to give her. Yeah. Which is so what, what she did. So what are the what are the things that those of us who want to help somebody, mm. can we do anything? Can we say anything? What, you know, I think you absolutely can say something and should say something. I hope in all regards, whether it's you're noticing someone having a mental health crisis or struggling, you know, I have friends who struggle with depression and anxiety and fill in the blank, right? And it and when I've had those moments of darkness, to have people say, I see you and I love you and I'm worried about you and how can I help you matters. 
And I hope that we all do that for each other, whether it's a colleague or it's a family member or a friend and to release the results of what they may say or do. It's like, I think also for our own, for my own peace of mind, I need to know that I said it. And now whether or not they do something about it, that's out of my control. But I can say to the person, I'm worried about you and I love you. And how can I help you? I want to shift sort of entirely a little bit to the progression of your career, right? Um, you certainly work at one, if not the number one, one of the most progressive companies when it comes to women, minorities, gender, age, like you guys are like probably the one everybody calls to say, how'd you do this? Mm -hmm. um, how do you, what advice do you give for people? And I don't care if it, if they're, even if it's just the traditional white guy, but what advice do you give to people who want to get promoted? How do you get promoted to get to that RVP level? Like how do you build your career brand mm. at a, you know, probably at an organization. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's a few things. I think it's um, having integrity and in how you deal with other people. And that by no means means that I've done it perfectly. And I haven't. How does, that, how does that manifest itself in your mind in the, in the workforce? I think it manifests by being honest in your affairs with other people, by treating others with kindness uh, by not being sh just short-sighted about something, whether it's for your customer's success or your team's success, right? And again, I have not been perfect. I'm sure there are plenty of people I've worked with who are like, oh, she was a nightmare on that. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, I'm being dramatic, but like, I'm by no means a perfect person. So these are the things that I try to guide myself with are the, what are my values, right? Because it's who you are, I think that right is what builds your brand and actually fundamentally authentically being who you are everywhere you go and not as a scheme to promote like you got to be the real deal everywhere right. Um, and then I'd say finding really good mentors and they don't have to be just mentors in the sales space like I have my mentor is our chief design officer Justin McGuire he's amazing. I intentionally work with him because he's not in sales but I am, I admire his brand and his leadership of a team of 300 people. And I want to learn from that and how he does that. So um, I'd say being intentional about having mentors um, and also, you know, success obviously as an individual contributor matters so that you can then lead with that success. I think a lot of, for me, it's been about like, yeah, how, how do I- choose, Yeah, how do you choose someone, not the person, Right. But you go in and you say, gosh, you know, I want to talk to somebody and someone to mentor me. And I think in sales, we get so narrow minded, right, that it's all got to be about sales. What am I trying to learn from? So you walk up to this person, and say, hey, could you mentor me? You know, they might turn around and say, yeah, what do you want to know? And maybe you don't want to know. You Maybe you don't know what you don't what you want to know. How do you, how do you navigate that? What are you looking for in someone outside of your own world? Um, so for me in selecting, you know, when I selected someone who was in, in not in a sales position, it was because I knew he led a large organization. I knew he had a fantastic reputation. He was well connected across the organization. And all of those things matter when you want to advance your career. And so, and having a total, the sales completely taken out of it, because I've got sales mentors and people who I've worked for, who I stay in touch with, who I can go to for advice. I wanted a totally different perspective, but I think you're right. You need to have some sense of what is it that you struggle with or that you want to grow um, to help guide why you're asking someone.
I feel like I, you're on mute again. I feel like I failed that interview question. But. <laughs> no, you did great. You did great. It, I, Richard failed. Like, you know, I, I just answered that quiz where I'm 99.1%, you know, worse than everybody else, right? I won. Man, this, so, this has been, uh, this has been super fun and, uh, and informative and I think needed necessary conversation. Uh, we want to thank Salesforce Revenue Cloud, Vidyard, Lead 411, as well as Wingman. And um, we usually end every single show with an offer of how can we help you? Uh, anything that you want to talk about, any questions that you have. So I want to kind of turn it over to you and uh, see if we can be helpful. I mean, you guys are being helpful right now, honestly. I'm just so excited to be able to share the story of what we're doing. It's so fresh and new. I'm like such, you know, I've never started an affinity group. <laughs> so thank you for giving us a platform to talk about why it matters. I really deeply hope that people hear this and go, you know what? I want to form a community like that, even as an ally, even as, you know, or, but especially someone sober, I think that that matters, right? Or whatever your own story is, right? Like I just... You, honestly, that you guys are helping just by putting this out into the world. And I hope it inspires people to bring their authentic selves to work because I think we're just far better humans when we get to be humans together all day, not just after hours, like during the workday too. Assuming, you know, you know, I'm sure the whole company will listen to it, but if you're at Salesforce, where do you go to find out more about Soberforce if you are one of those you just employees? simply search in our Org 62, which, are, which is our instance of Salesforce uh, for Soberforce, and you will find our very public chatter page. And all of our phone numbers of the co-founders are listed on the right-hand side um, with their names, as well as other resources from our employee success and the great benefits that we offer. So we have all of those links as well. Fantastic. Glad to know you. And thank you. you. Um, thank you for sharing your story. Like it's been um, really educational and inspiring. Well, thank you, Richard thank and you so Scott. Much. It was so lovely to meet you both. And I really appreciate you making time to hear the story of Soberforce. Thanks again.